Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Love podcasts, hate nonsense. It's the Politics Show podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Drop the hammer. Drop the hammer. And what an episode we have got for you today, ladies and gentlemen, because not only am I joined by Capital J, J journalist Ava Santina. Ava, hello. Hello. Glad I to... whooped then. Did you hear it? I know. And actually, people have been noticing that you started whooping. I, Fill... I don't know if they like it, though. Filling the void left by Ed and me being on a, a whooping ban by our, our prospective well girlfriend and wife. So. Yeah. Well, my, my partner's too old to, to, <laughs> to watch the podcast. online. Yeah, so. <laughs> so he doesn't know. He it's can't get the ick. Yeah. He can't get the ick. And um, as well as Ava, we're joined by Charlotte Nichols, the MP for Warrington North. Charlotte, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very glad to have you here with us. Um, we're going to be talking PMQs, Prime Minister's questions. Should we just, should we just go straight into it? Head Let's first. Go. Roll the clip. We now come to the Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I know you're a keen historian, so I looked up the last time a Prime Minister missed two sessions in a row with other engagements, which was March 1996, and I'm very proud to be filling the boots of Lord John Prescott, but I think it's safe to say he's no Hessel time, Mr Speaker. Why is it John Prescott asked that in Tory Britain, tens of thousands of families are facing repossession, negative equity and homelessness. And can he tell us, 27 years later, why I'm having to ask the same question? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, clearly the Right Honourable Lady did not listen to my previous comments. The Prime Minister is at NATO. Of course, that wouldn't be a problem if she'd had her way. Her old boss wanted to abandon Ukraine, abolish the army and withdraw from NATO and he certainly wouldn't be going to any summit, Mr Speaker. And, it, and when it... And when 
when it comes when it comes to house building, I will take no lectures from the party opposite on home ownership. My parents would not have been able to buy their own home if it were not for Margaret Thatcher and the reforms introduced by her government. And this government is building on those with record house building. Charlotte, you're in the chamber today. Um, just initial sort of thoughts, feels, vibes on this session of Prime Minister's Questions? <laughs> I mean, I honestly think it might have been one of the worst ones I've ever been to. Wow. Um, it had the kind of vibe of a supply teacher right at the end of the term, totally lost control of the class. The TV's been wheeled in. Yeah, no one's interested. Yeah, you're watching the first hour of uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. I must have yep. watched that about a thousand times at school. Only it's after the first though. hour. It's Don't know what film. happens at the end. <laughs> uh, who's the supply teacher, Angela Rayner or Oliver Dowden? No, Dowden's very much the supply teacher. Yeah. I think... Um, yeah, it was one of those ones that at a certain point, I think, you know, obviously Angela's done PMQs quite a few times now. And I think from her point of view, it must be boring coming up against someone like Dowden because he just gives you nothing. Yeah, she had quite a good rapport, didn't she, with Rob when that was going on? Like, it, you could really tell, like, the vein would come out quite profusely, wouldn't it? There was, like, a fizz and a crackle. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, there, there, there was, like, a bit of animosity. I yeah. felt that between them. Whereas with Dowden, it's just kind of a bit... Flat. Yeah. And that's what I mean. You, you kind of need that in the chamber, sort of, you know, there's that kind of tension that builds up around it. You know, everyone gets really into it with the kind of heckling and cheering and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But with Dowden, it was just... And he, you know, reading out all these kind of pre-prepared gags that he's not even delivering properly. Like at one point he was literally there and he had this ring binder and he was like, well, it, I could just say to the mm. deputy leader and then flicks to this page and then sort of badly reads out this kind of zinger and everyone's just there like, oh, mate, this is... Should we just recap on what that zinger was? Yeah, go I don't ahead. know if we've got it down here. Shoot. Uh, he basically said that Angela Rayner was auditioning to be John Prescott, which doesn't really make sense because she basically is John Prescott, just in a in a different shadow cabinet, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, she literally already has that job. Yeah, and she also hasn't thrown a punch quite as well as John. And she wasn't in Gavin and Stacey, right? <laughs> so if anything, she's doing a very, she's that, not quite there. That clip from the archive where Prescott smacks that guy is yeah. one of my favourite I think that's in like the all-time Hall of Fame, like British politics clips. And it's very close as well with the one of Ian Dale, like accosting that protester as well. Yes. It's like very much like, I enjoy watching like politicians or media people fighting because mm. it's very clear that they do very little fighting. Mm, yep. And then like, I don't know, it's kind of like handbaggy. It's kind of like people like pushing and like, there's no, no one really throws a punch apart from Prescott, which is why I like that one. Prescott went he in, literally yeah. just smacked him in the face. Have you I seen the Ian Dale video? Well, the, I was going to say on the Prescott video, one mm. of the really like underrated elements of it, if you watch it, just got Jess Morden walking behind him. This is like 30 years ago now, I think yeah. it was, mm -hmm. something like that. She looks literally exactly the same. Really? Like, drop your skincare routine, hun. Really? It's incredible. <laughs> like, drop the link. Honestly, it's like every time I watch it, I know that like, you know, the kind of key moment and the punch is the bit that I should be focused on. But every time I watch it, I'm like, Jess Morden, what moisturiser do you use? I must know. It's got to be retinol. Pardon? It's got to be retinol. I mean, it's, it's got to be something. She's just, mm. as I said, has not aged how far, since that video was taken. How far into skincare were we 30 years ago? 
did we did we have sort of our hyaluronic acids and all that sort of stuff well, was that you, going on? No, but you know, if you were a strict user of Olay's cold cream, I think you you carried through because mm. my dad's mum used that and she she looks fantastic, mm. and the Italian on the other side looks like a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> A smoked one. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, should we talk about a little bit about the, the substance of what was said at Prime Minister's question? Yeah. Should we talk? So uh, Rain is going on about, well, she went on child poverty, didn't she, as well as sort of increasing temporary accommodation, homelessness. Um, I quite liked the whole, you know, Prescott said this 27 years ago. I thought that was a good bit. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Um, but it's a pertinent issue. And I think, Charlotte, maybe you could talk about this because... Listeners, regular watchers of Prime Minister's Questions will probably be a little bit perplexed that when Angela Rayner stands up and says, you know, what's the situation like now since Labour came out of government in 2010, the situation's got worse. And then Dowden will stand up and be like, well, no, actually, since 2010, you know, we've, we've reduced by whatever, by half. And you're sort of getting two statistics on the face of it, but, you know, both could be true, but they say completely the opposite thing. And you're kind of sat there looking at the two of them and being like, I don't know who to believe here. Like, what's, what's going on? Could you talk us through sort of that exchange and and are both of them right? Is one of them right? Like what's what, what's happening there when that when that's going on? I mean, we've moved into this sort of bizarre post-truth politics, essentially, where after Boris Johnson, any minister can get up and say something that is just factually not true. And that just seems to be okay. And I mean, Dowden today at PMQs was a classic example of it because he kept banging away about you know this conservative government has lifted 400,000 children out of poverty and it's like no you literally just changed the definition of what poverty is Mm, like they, they changed the legal definition of what poverty is in order to be able to say that they had taken children out of it so you know he's saying oh yeah you know we've done this great thing but like we've all got eyes Do you know what I mean? We all look around our friendship groups. We look around our communities. We look at, you know, food banks, fundraising on social media and all of this sort of stuff. And we know that that just isn't true. Mm. So you can use whatever sophistry you like with statistics. But I think people know when they're watching that, who is telling the truth and who isn't. And clearly it's Labour and Angela Rayner that were on the side of not only the facts of what's going on at the moment, but trying to really bring it back down to that human level of what it means that the cost of living crisis has got just so out of control in this country and the government doesn't seem to have any grasp whatsoever of the urgency of resolving this. And they're quite happy to just continue to say, no, everything's fine. Mm. And I'm sure it is fine if you're Oliver Dowden. Do you know what I mean? It's... Mm. But, that, it, but it's just not a normal people's experience of this issue. On that point, does it sort of thinking forward, thinking to the future and about, you know, an, an incoming general election, you must kind of be wringing your hands at, at, at Southside and, you know, your other Labour MPs thinking, all we've got to do is say to these people, say to, say to the electorate, you know, are you in a better position than you were 13 years ago? And I think this is something that has been a real feature of a lot of our comms recently. In fact, I think our most recent party political broadcast was asking people exactly that question because people that I speak to, you know, I'm out door knocking every week in Warrington, have my surgeries every week. You know, I'm speaking to people even on the days I'm down here by Zoom and email and everything else. And you say to them, you know, what what is working better? And whether it's, you know, we've, we've got to a point now 
there's all this talk about sort of, you know, between heating and eating that's gone on for a few years now. I'm now having pensioners tell me that they're rationing their lighting at home because of how difficult they're finding things. You know, they've only got one light bulb in the house that's plugged in because their electricity bills have got so out of control. They've, they've you know, not had their heating on sometimes for years now, but they're now getting to the point that they're essentially living in the dark in winter. It's these sorts of things that I just don't think that they get and understand and actually care about because all of us will have noticed, you know, whether it's even on silly things like the sort of price of Lurpak or what have you, mm -hmm. you know, everything is just more expensive at the moment. Like you can't cough in the general direction of a Tesco's without it costing you about 35 quid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's bus fares, whether it's, you know, at the fuel pump, whether it's train fares, whether it's, you know, mortgages, rent. I mean, the amount of people that I know that are having to either move back in with their parents at the moment or actually parents having to move in with their adult children, which is something that I'm seeing more and more of at the moment. You know, the children have moved out, they've got their own place, and it's the parents that are struggling and saying, actually, can I come and live with you? Mm -hmm. Like This is not normal, and I'm sick of the kind of top end of the political class within the Conservative Party acting as though it is, and we can just, you know, ride it out and it'll all be fine without them needing to do anything. I think a lot of the country is minded to agree with you, but my question, the criticism that I would level at the Labour Party, and I'm not the only one that would do this, is say, yeah, okay, the Tories are failing, the country is in a dire state, but it's not good enough to just say, well, they're doing a bad job, we'll do a better one. Where is the compelling vision, the sort of programme for government, the broader picture about what Labour would do and how it would radically improve the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm very clear that it's not enough to want to vote against the government. Yeah, I, I want people to actively want to vote for us. We're not just the least worst option. I want us to be the best option for people to go out and want to actively vote Labour. And I do think that we have got a job of work to do. I mean, you know, we're in a very comfortable place in the polls at the moment. You know, that's a great thing to see given, you know, the last few years and how bad things got on that front. But that's not something that we can take for granted without offering people that sense of something hopeful. You can't just be, you know, oh, we'll make cuts and stuff, but, you know, nicely and better <laughs> and stuff you know that's not no one's no one's going to yeah. go out to vote for that you know you, you might find that a lot of people stay at home um but you know that's not going to be enough and I think you know through the work that they've been doing at the moment around kind of outlining the missions for the kind of broad brushstroke stuff but you know now us getting into that national policy forum process sitting down with you know all of our different trade unions CLPs other affiliated organizations campaigning bodies to try to get something that within the context of a very, very difficult balance sheet that we'll essentially be inheriting, how we can make the best out of that. And I think there's lots of things we can do that aren't necessarily going to be, you know, costing huge amounts of money, but will materially be making people's lives better. And I wouldn't be in the Labour Party if I didn't believe that was the case. Mm. It's a tricky line to or tightrope to kind of walk on, because I think half the country think that Labour 
are going to spend too much money if they get into power. And then the other half of the country is listening to Keir Starmer when he's talking about difficult choices. I mean, what comes up on the doorstep? Which school of thought is cutting through? I think it's a real mix, to be honest. And, you know, given that we're still maybe 18 months away from a general election, a lot of the talk is less about, you know, what's going to be happening in the medium term and with a sort of change of government, God willing, but more about how am I going to get to the end of this month? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm, you know, um, and for businesses in particular, you know, the end of the financial year and all these sorts of, you know, for some of our small business owners, it's, I think, what people are bringing up is much more immediate concerns, but it's making sure that we're pushing for those things that we're, you know, reflecting the difficulties that people are having right across the economy in every sector, in every part of the country, you know, that's something that we've got to be reflecting back at the moment. Mm. Um, but when it comes to that longer term stuff, um, it's, it is that mix of people wanting reassurance that, you know, this magic money tree isn't something that we're basing our economic policy on and it isn't. But also, you know, wanting us to do something because, you know, we don't just want to be managing a country that's in decline. He said that today, didn't he? Just, a, just about Sorry, to say yeah. it. No, you go, you go. He said, what is it? Tree hugging? Yeah, you're hugging the magic money tree, that party. That's what he said. <laughs> boom. Yeah. Funny. And, yeah. And, and, and you could tell from everyone around him just being like, oh, yeah. that, you know, that yeah. real, real zinger really landed that one, really, who, really cut us all to the Who bone. do you reckon, yeah. around that cabinet table, who do you reckon's got the most crack? Like, if, it, when, they, when they all go for, like, I don't know, summer recess drinks, who's making them laugh? Who's got a bit of a sense of humour to them? I reckon James Cleverly has got quite good banter. That's that's a good shout, that. I, I back in uh, 2019, during election, we went to his constituency and went, walked his dogs with him <laughs> and interviewed him. Honestly, um, he does have a bit. He does have a bit of crack. He's got a bit of chat, and he also said um, he's. We were, went to the pub afterwards, sat down like a couple of pints, a packet of crisps. He went, you know, politics, Joe. You guys are more Tory than you realise. I said, James, do tell. tell. Tell me, tell me. He was mm. like, you're conservative. I said, all right, sure. He said, you've got all these other media organisations around you. They're very expensive. They're bloated. They're big beast legacy. Very expensive. Fancy cameras. You two have come here. Small kit. You're creating content. And you're disrupting the market. And you're doing it cheaper, better, and in a more engaging way. You are a conservative. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. How did you feel about that? Is that when you kissed him? Yeah, and then, then we fucked. Um, no, uh, I hadn't. I'd never thought about it like that. I mean, look, yeah, I do. Does like being a dis, do by by being a disruptor? Are you a Tory? I, you know, I I don't think so. Um, well, you're not a Lib Dem. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not a Lib Dem uh, over my dead body. No, he he was. I, I think conservatives like to conceive of themselves as you know like the entrepreneur you know the the, the small business the 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 person that's going out and like you know doing something different and therefore is finding success in that i don't think that's like a necessarily conservative thing to be to be quite honest with you mm. if anything i i would you know in the sense of small c conservative actually you're probably more on the side of like legacy and traditional media you know the newspaper of record is probably more tory yeah you know? um but uh but yeah i don't know that was a that was a long-winded way to say you agree with him <laughs> certainly was when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Love you, Les. Hate nonces. You might like my interview with Sadiq Khan on our Unfiltered podcast. Just search Unfiltered wherever you're listening to this podcast. Here's a little sample. How much of this is about carving out a meaningful political legacy for you as mayor of London. If we look back over your time as mayor, some will say, perhaps many will say, that perhaps the defining characteristic has been serious youth violence, the Metropolitan Police's failed attempts to get a serious handle on that. We could go further and talk about the rapists, the racists, in the extreme cases, the murderers within their own ranks that the Metropolitan Police has failed to root out. What's to say that that's not going to be the defining part of your legacy as mayor of London? Well, so I think you only start talking about legacy when you come towards the end of your your uh, your, your, your career. I've still got another. I'm really happy to talk about record. I'm the guy that called out the police. You know, I, I remember I remember being incredibly lonely, being the guy calling out the Met Police leadership. On the one hand, you've got the Prime Minister, the Home Secretary, the Police Minister, Her Majesty Inspectorate, the Met Police Federation. On the other hand, you've got me and Londoners, uh, and it was me that led to the former commissioner, of course, uh, resigning. It was me that, uh, you know, asked for Dame Lou's case's report, which led to some of the conclusions that, 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 that are well rehearsed in relation to institutional sexism, misogyny, institutional racism and institutional homophobia. In relation to, you know, record, you call a legacy. I'm the mayor under whose leadership we have now record numbers of council homes being built more time than any time since the 1970s. More homes being completed any time since the 1930s. I'm the mayor that's reduced by 50% the toxic air in central uh, London froze fares for uh, five years, introduced the top affair, planted uh, more than 400,000 trees in my first you know, six years, double the amount the previous mayor planted in eight years, and I could go on. That was an excerpt of my conversation with Sadiq Khan on Unfiltered. Just search Unfiltered wherever you get your podcast. We have never had it so good. It's the Politics Show podcast. Should we do another clip, yeah. Murray Black? Roll the clip. SNP yeah. Deputy Leader Murray Black. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last month, the Deputy Prime Minister dismissed warnings from these benches that mortgage rates were nearly back to where they were after the disastrous mini-budget. This week, mortgage rates have surpassed those levels. How high do they need to go until he and his government takes it seriously? Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the Honourable Lady knows, people around the world know, that the driver of higher mortgage rates is higher inflation. And higher inflation is caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the post-COVID supply chains. But what we have to do is make sure we halve inflation. It's only by getting inflation under control that we will be able to get mortgage rates down. And that requires discipline. Discipline on spending, discipline on public sector pay, and discipline on energy supply, all of which is lacking from that party. Murray Black. 
England predict that mortgage payments will rise by at least £500 for a million households. The Prime Minister says that people need to hold their nerve. The Chancellor said just last night that mortgage holders should just shop around. Speaking of his own party, the member for South West Devon said, if the circus doesn't stop by Christmas, it's over. Does the Deputy Prime Minister understand that people can't afford to wait until Christmas and that they need help right now? Deputy Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the fundamental thing we have to do is to halve inflation. That is an approach that the IMF quote strongly endorses because higher inflation drives higher mortgage rates. But that's not all we are doing. With the mortgage charter signed up by 90% of mortgage providers, we are giving people help to extend their terms, to go interest only, and to reduce their monthly payments. Now, that action is supported by Martin Lewis, a real money-saving expert, unlike the big spenders on those benches. So that was Mari Black, who mm. was standing in for Stephen Flynn this week. Flynn, Flynn. How did I nearly forget that? I know. Do you, the, the Flynn. Have we told the story on here yet? It's not a really short one. About how this presenter texted me the other day and asked me if I thought Stephen Flynn was funnier now that he was bald. And it came <laughs> out of absolutely nowhere. I just sort of looked at my phone like, where has that come from? I think there is something, I, there is something about like comedians, like if they're ugly, they're funnier. I don't think Stephen Flynn's ugly. No, no, but that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just like, you know, because if it was written down on paper, you'd say, well, obviously, like someone's physical appearance has absolutely nothing to do with their sense of humour or whether they're funny or not. But I do enjoy watching like, a, like an ugly man just like berate himself on stage. Yeah. My first crush was Frankie Boyle. Cool. I definitely feel like if you're ugly, you've got to like work harder at being funny. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's definitely part of yeah. it, isn't it? I know, I, know, so I know someone who I won't name for obvious reasons. <laughs> Why? Out them. Say you fancy them. Ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly old man. Very funny. And, you know, it's in, in, lieu of, in lieu of... I think people who are good looking, they get it a bit easy, don't they? Yeah. They get it a bit easy and they don't really have to develop a personality. Whereas, you know, you can tell when someone... You had a bit of a rough time when you were younger. You're fucking funny, mm. you know? And that's why we're really boring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I feel like that's erasing my experience of, you know, NHS glasses, braces, dranky bob that my mum cut. Really? I've been been this tall since I was 10. um, But also, like, with sort of rail thins, I sort of used to walk around like Bambi at the beginning of the film all a bit, you know. I always say I walk around like Bambi. Did your mum cut your hair for long? Um, thankfully not, but I do enjoy showing people this picture. I think it was like in year four, my class photo, and my fringe is on three different levels. And I'm just there like... <laughs> Still picture. serving looks. Yeah, I mean, it was just awful. Would, like, you, would you share the photo with I, us I, so that we could put yeah. it in the episode? <laughs> would you do that? Happy to. Yeah, yeah amazing. It's, uh, it's just stunning. Um, <laughs> I'm sure so, it is. Yeah, between, you know, being the sort of ginger middle child and, ah. you know... My mum making it even worse for me with her <laughs> haircuts and stuff. I like to think that I've got maybe more of a personality than I might otherwise have if, you know. You've got to sort your mum out. You've got yeah. to have a word. You're not, you're, you're not doing me any favours here, Mark. <laughs> you're not doing me any favours here yeah. with this fringe. I think it's sabotage, isn't it? Um, anyway, Mari Black. Yeah, Stephen Flynn wasn't actually in PMQ. Yeah, no, so. no. So, yeah, anyway, back to, Mar- back to Mari Black, <laughs> yeah. who is standing down, we now know, at know. the next election. Are you shame. standing at the next election? I am indeed. I was selected last January, I believe, unanimously mm. by the good people of Warrington North Constituency Labour Party. Very good. A little bit gutted to hear about Mari leaving. 
Yeah, I mean, I think listening to that interview, there wasn't really anything she said that I could disagree with. I mean, you know, obviously politically we're not in the same space on the kind of big constitutional questions and things like that, obviously. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think her assessment of the way Westminster works, the culture there and this sort of stuff, I mean, there was literally nothing she said that I was like, well, that's wrong. Um, and having been here, you know, sort of three or four years now, I can totally understand being just done after 10. Mm. Mm. It's crazy she's been there for 10, isn't it? I still well, think of her like as... she was 20, wasn't she? When, yeah. Yeah, yeah she she's, she's still younger than me and she's been in her for 10 years. So I'm like, <laughs> 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 It's oh, upsetting. Fuck. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> All right, anyway, so what she was talking about today... <laughs> yeah, go on. So she was asking uh, the Deputy Prime Minister about uh, mortgage payments and how they're about to spike for a million households. And for some bizarre reason, Oliver Dowden came back and explained to her that she didn't understand economics and actually he should look to their good friend, Martin Lewis, who I don't imagine believes himself to be a good friend of the Deputy Prime Minister of this mm, country. Mm. But anyway, apparently he's the only one who knows what's going on and it's all fine. The, the brass neck to be like, no, no, silly woman, I know about the economy. Look at, what the, look at what's happening in the economy right now. Yeah. I'm going to give you a lesson about interest rates and mortgages and inflation because... My God, is the mortgage market in a healthy place right now? Angela Rayner did a, had a little uh, jibe. She had a good slam dunk. Oh, oh God, really? Take that out. Don't put that in. What did she say? <laughs> she said, um, you're the ones who crashed the economy, mm. which is quite good. And that's probably going to be the line now for, what, the next 20, 30 years? Mm. That's going to be like the... Um, the note. The note. It's going to be like the Greg Hands note, isn't it? There's no money left. So will you crush the economy? The, the but, I mean, this is the thing about, you know, bringing up Martin Lewis. Like, there is a reason why he has become a household name in the way that he has, particularly in the last sort of year or two. And it's that literally everyone is finding it difficult to manage mm. at the moment. So the fact that he's having to, you know, give people on a really kind of mass scale some of the advice that he's been giving that previously, you know, had been about if you were in a bit of debt and you needed a bit of help, you know, sort of moving things around or you wanted to make, you know, some savings and slightly smarter choices. Even Martin Lewis, when he has come in front of various select committees, including the Bayes committee that I'm on over the last year, has said, you know, there's, there's no advice that I can give people that will actually be that helpful at the moment because this isn't about people not being able to budget properly. This isn't about people making bad decisions. This is about the government just tanking everything. There's a there's a parallel as well, isn't there? I mean, looking at mortgage rates at the moment, and you know, you could look at the bond market as well, or guilt, you know, guilt yields. The economic indicators they're in a very similar place to where they were when when Liz Truss was in power. Very very similar place, and it's interesting to me. I know you've you've spoken about this before on the podcast about um, the sort of the Tory party deciding that it was an opportunity to get rid of Liz Truss, and they. Well, it's catch-22 now. They can't do it again, can they? With Rishi Sunak, they're sort of stuck with him until the next election. They couldn't change leader again. Oh, I think they could. You mm. think? Who would you put in? Um, well. There's no one left. No, I mean... Um, Cleverly. On, on, on Cleverly. Some, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at least it would spice up PMQs a bit <laughs> for, you know, the last bit of Parliament. Yeah. What but, was he wearing in, like, what country was he in the other week when he was wearing a full fur? What oh, was that? Um, he was in, like, Central Asia, wasn't he? He was, like, on the steps somewhere. I think yeah. I want to say... Mongolia? I thought he was in. Could be something I, like that. I remember the picture because I have to say I've been enjoying his sort of social media game recently of uh, 
I've got like the worst photo of me and him from some board of deputies Hanukkah thing like last year where I decided to wear a kind of menorah felt hat thing <laughs> um, just nice. for a laugh yeah nice um and How then was your fringe put in oh this was pre-fringe um <laughs> so you know it was just my big forehead with the nice. menorah on top instead um but yeah there's this picture of me and James Cleverly where we look like your sort of disappointed Jewish parents after you did a bad <laughs> like bar mitzvah reading and I've literally got it printed in the office because every time I look at it it makes me laugh because I'm just like what what was going on in this photo yeah. and he carries that energy into you know some of the photos and things that he's taken now that he's foreign secretary and i'm just i yeah, rate it you know yeah. the, the the banter of it just leaning into the costume and being like do you know what cool this is what yeah. i'm wearing it's, it's also it's also probably like a thinly veiled maybe i don't know is it a dig at liz truss and like her instagram game you know when she was going full full send on like the thatcher impersonation <laughs> and he's what a time that was i know halcyon what a days time. She was getting her hair done every single day, and that just blows my mind. Mm. How do you have time for a wash and blow dry every day? All right? Well, it, I'm not even the Prime Minister. <laughs> I couldn't do it. It's also that mad picture that she had in, it was in Tokyo on the Shibuya crossing, and it's like the busiest crossing in the world. Mm. And apparently she was late for all these meetings because she was trying to nail the shot yeah. on the crossing and trying to make, you know, so she's sort of striding across purposefully and all this sort of thing. And you just think, you're literally the foreign secretary. That is the most cringe thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, just go to the meeting. Do you know what I mean? Do your job. It's quite a nice... Can any of us honestly say? Well, <laughs> yeah. Mean... That's what I was about to say. It's like a very neat microcosm for, like, society. Because there's plenty... I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who can identify with, you know, spending too much time trying to take a photo. They just, you know, maybe have been a bit late to the pub. Yeah. Rather than no, I'm a one <laughs> late for a bilap yeah. in Japan. Oh, Let me put that out there right now. Every photo you've seen on, of me has yeah. been on the first take. Really? <laughs> no. One and done. <laughs> <laughs> one and done. One yeah. and done. Um, no, I, I'm very firmly, you, you, it's not a surprise you to hear that I'm like very much in sort of like the Instagram boyfriend category. You know? Yeah? Like, take, take the pics. Um, right. I, I completely misunderstood that. And I thought you meant your your wife was yeah. taking photos of you. No. A lot, no. I prefer this mental image of her just <laughs> yeah. like sadly following him around on holiday where he's like, no, no, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. a bit, bit more. Get the ass in. Like, yeah, um, one of those plastic palm trees. He's like, get this in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, you, I think the, 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 the number one rule is like take at least least 50 photos you yeah. Know? yeah 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 like slight change in angle move it around but you're just hammering that shutter button because right. i've made the mistake in the past of taking one no 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 not no, one no, no, no. 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 See, i mean it, it is one of the things that like in a job like mine where you become sort of used to having photos of yourself taken with some regularity like you and know, not having if, control of them as well yeah like if you go back through like my instagram before i got elected there's barely any pictures of me on there because it's just like here is a nice pint i had here are my friends mm. right. like this sort of but then suddenly it's you know here i am standing in front of something wearing and a whatever yeah exactly <laughs> wearing a felt menorah oh mate like i have to say my my fancy dress game is pretty strong is it? like um yeah i had we had a fundraising event in warrington recently for the mayor's charity and i went dressed as old billy the horse um who's, that? Oh, uh, who's old billy old billy is the oldest horse that ever lived uh, he's from warrington lived to 62 years old wow. um that's a, a good knock a legend a king like there's murals of him around warrington we've what? commissioned a statue of him were you the full the horse new or were you part of it too? No, so I had like this big sort of horse head on right. and then like a sort of horse onesie. Um, 
But, you know, as I said, just... Do people get it? Yeah. As I, I said, li- li- yeah. Literally, literally, I was walking home from um, the town hall because I sort of Old. lived... Yeah. <laughs> well, essentially, the bit of Warrington that I live in is, like, too close to the town centre for any self-respecting taxi driver to take you there because yeah. they're like, why would I bother? Mm. Like, that's not a worthwhile fare. So I was walking back on, you know, late at night in my full horse costume and everyone's like, oh, Billy. And it's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> You get it. You get it. I've done some. I've had some good fancy dress. I did Smurfette once. I painted my entire body blue, bought a white nighty and a blonde wig, stuck that on. Smurfette. That's um, good. Was, was that a good look for you? Uh, I'll show you a photo after this of me <laughs> uh, with like a kebab in one hand. Yeah, it's not necessarily a good look. Mm. Um, I've done. Uh, we were talking about gaming. We will talk about gaming in a second. I've done Master Chief as well. Yeah. Um, my friend went. We had leftover blue paint from the Smurfs night, so he went as a grunt. Blued up, yeah. built, built himself like a cardboard carapace at the back. And then um, I like turned a helmet into like a Master Chief helmet. Yeah. I've, I've never gone that big on the like video games costumes. But I've got an excellent picture of me dressed as Misty from Pokemon for, I think it was Purim one year. Mm. Um, oh, just, is that, is that a, a normal day for... Oh, oh, sorry. Purim is one of the greatest festivals in the Jewish calendar. So there are four things that you have to do. Everyone dresses up as Misty Pardon? from Pokemon. That's the first yeah, thing. Well, no, literally, fancy dress is one of the things that you are, like, commanded to do. Really? On this festival, yeah. So it's usually sort of February, March kind of time. Honestly, go to Stamford Hill or Presswich or somewhere for Purim. It is incredible. Is um, the fancy dress in the Torah? Is that... Pardon? Yeah. So it's basically because it's disguise, essentially. Right. So you wear... like what you've done there. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, it's it's part of the story. So yeah, so the four the four things you have to do you have to go to synagogue to hear the reading of this thing called Megillah Esther, so the story of Esther, and you know it involves her sort of you know uh, defeating the king and whatever through the medium of fancy dress and disguise and things. So that's kind of you know right. it all goes back to this. Um, you have to eat these little um, sort of cookies called hamantaschen. Um, they're delicious. Uh, then the other two things you have to do are you are required to get drunk on this festival. <laughs> and the honestly, the, the sages have specified the level of inebriated that you're meant to get. And you have to get so drunk that you can't tell the difference between Baruch Mordechai Arul Haman. So blessed is Mordechai, cursed is Haman, which is the goody and the baddie. In right. this story that you hear, you have to get drunk enough to not be able to distinguish which one's the good character and which one's the bad character. Because was he drunk? But Is that why? So, like, but the more religious you are, the harder it's going to be mm. to uh, get that mixed up. So, as I said, the rabbis are battered. Yeah, honestly, like I've had times where like, my rabbis there dressed as Father Christmas, absolutely steaming, free bar at my synagogue <laughs> on Purim. It's honestly, I'm telling you, it is, it is one of the best festivals. Can, can I, we come? Can you bring like a... Yeah, I, I bought um, Nadine Bachelor Hunt to Westminster Synagogue but for Purim this year. Can you, can you bring a Catholic? Well, yeah, why not? Anglicanism fucking sucks, man. I mean, I'm just sat here listening to this being like... I know. Well, we don't even get to do Halloween. Honestly, like I used to live with uh, my sort of former housemate before now, a guy called Joe, and he was atheist, but sort of from a Catholic background. And he would come home every so often and he'd be like, you know, what, what are you doing, Charlotte? And I'd be like, oh, I'm just building this ritual gazebo in the garden to get drunk in for eight days for Sukkot or whatever. <laughs> or like, oh, I'm just making some cheesecake because it's our festival of sort of cheesecake, sex and rage. And, <laughs> what? Sorry. What? Yeah. Well, quite. And uh, so he'd just be like, Charlotte, do you know what? I, I could really fuck with Judaism. Mm, he was like, I think he, so. he was like, every time I come home and you're just like making something for like Friday night dinner or like, 
you know, these festivals throughout the year, he was like, these are great. Why don't we learn about these in school? And I'm like... I'm thinking about all the Jewish men that I dated and they never brought these ones up. Ah, oh, no, I was trying to keep it from they you. They were trying to dim your light. They, they didn't tell you about the cheesecake, like, oh, the sex and the rage. Yeah. Tonight, awful. Oh, they're off doing this. Yeah, it's like, oh, going to synagogue, it's so hard being like, oh, having a lovely time, eating a bit of cheesecake, listening to... What is the Festival of Cheesecake, Sex and Rage? Shavuot. Shavuot. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that festival is absolutely elite. One of my favourites. Uh, Sukkot, which is sort of uh, around harvest time. You build essentially a kind of ritual gazebo and you've got to kind of live in it for eight days, invite people round for dinner, get drunk. Um, there's a sort of special kind of lemon that you've got to have for it called an etrog. No one in Parliament believed me about this, and I had to bring one in and show them all, and was like, smell my head drug. <laughs> what does it look like? It's, it's like a big knobbly lemon, but they're about 40 quid. Really? Yeah. Oh, I know this lemon. Yeah. I've, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just... Let me tell you about this fucking lemon. I used to live in Stoke Newington, yeah. like where it meets Stanford, and this yeah. makes so much sense to me, because genuinely, a couple of years ago, we were like, why is that so expensive? Yeah, why why is this now dude why is this dude on the corner selling these really expensive lemons? Now you know. It wow. was in the lead up to Sukkot. Are they larger or is that why they're more expensive or is it just he's noticed there's the increased demand so he can charge 40 quid for it? D- depends. I mean, it's one of those things like some of them are sort of pretty standard lemon size, but I mean, there's all these great pictures of, you know, some of the rabbis with like really massive ones and sort of looking on them lovingly and things that very wholesome. This sounds great. You're changing my you're changing my views on organised religion, Charlotte. As we speak. We haven't as done we any speak. politics. Well, this, this is politics. <laughs> yeah, this, it is. This, yeah. This, what is politics if not cheesecake, no, sex, and did. rage? We did. We yeah. did earlier. Didn't we, we did. Shut the fridge. It's the politics show podcast. Shall we talk a little bit about the um, all-party parliamentary groups that Charlotte's a part of? Because there's please there's some some goodies, aren't there? Yeah. There's some goodies. So, from memory, you can correct pubs. Yep. Wine and spirits. So I, I'm the chair of pubs. Yeah, sure. I'm an officer for wine and spirits. Officer of wine and spirits. Quite right. Good, good title. A wine and spirits officer. Mm, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, gaming. Yeah. Video games and esports. Vice chair. Then do we go deaths abroad? Deaths abroad. Just an officer of that one. Just an officer. And are there more to come? Have I ticked them? There's more? Yeah, uh, so I chair the all-party parliamentary group on nuclear. I chair the all-party group on apprentices. I chair the all-party group on multiple sclerosis. Um, But I'm also involved in a number of other ones, including uh, road transport and logistics, uh, the APPG for British Jews. It's I really... uh, You want to get to 10? I mean, mean, if you go through the list, it's genuinely about 30. Okay, Um, cool. But, you know, thankfully they don't all meet every week. So it's... (laughs) be tough. What about the pubs one? Yeah, how often are you meeting? Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends really. So we launched an inquiry report recently called Raising the Bar. Highly recommend everyone looks it up. Um, And essentially about what needs to be done in terms of post-pandemic recovery for the sector. Because actually... It's rough for pubs. Yeah, I mean, you know, my sister runs a pub on the Isle of Man. Um, It's, you know, probably the job that was the most useful experience before getting into politics. It's like, you know, I've got a politics degree, but that was basically useless because, you know... Amen, brother. Like, learned lots of interesting things about comparative peace processes and all this sort of stuff. Mm. But, like, when you become an MP and you're like, what is a statutory instrument? How do I vote? What is going on? But, you know, it gave me no pointers on that front. But, you know, having worked in a pub, you learn how to be able to talk to basically everyone. 
you learn how to be able to de-escalate a situation if it's all kicking off because mm. you need to know how to do that if you work in a bar. All of those sorts of skills have actually been much more helpful on a kind of day-to-day -day level. But, you know, one in six new jobs are created in the hospitality sector. It's a sector that a lot of people, you know, including myself, start their careers in whatever it is that they go on to do. Mm. And of course, within any community in the UK, pretty much the only two institutions that you can guarantee it's going to have are some sort of pub and some sort of religious space. That is all that is left of the kind of public sphere in Britain, given the hollowing out over the last 30 or 40 years of all of these community spaces that we used to have. So actually now, you know, whether you drink or not, pubs are something that's going to be at the heart of your local community because it's probably where your kid's sports team is run out of. It's probably who was organising, um, you know, getting clothes together for refugees or helping people out during the pandemic. It's probably the place that if you've got a sort of, I don't know, history society or book club or something like that, that you're going to go and meet. Mm. It's It goes far beyond, you know, what it's people think center, pubs yeah. is. Exactly. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it in that way because I've, I've been thinking about this more so recently, actually, that it's essentially sort of the last remaining piece of the kind of social fabric. Yeah, basically. like you look at how many bands will start out, you know, playing in the back rooms in pubs on a Saturday yeah. night or whatever. If they're gone, where are those bands going to get their break essentially where are they going to build an Charlotte, audience what they need to do is need to have wealthy parents and then <laughs> yes. they go into it properly okay yeah. only way to go in i, I love I um you know the lottery winners so they they recently they were number one in the album charts they're a lovely group from lee which is the constituency next door to mine so they sort of yeah we're claiming them as well mm. um and yeah they literally played for years and years and years around the pub circuit in the northwest you know built up this really loyal following they're just so bloody nice and their music is excellent as well. But now they're number one in the album charts. Like, again, explain to me how lottery winners get to do that without pubs being a thing that exists. Right. Mm. Okay, yeah. Mm. I mean, Ed Sheeran did it, so. <laughs> <laughs> I also... Well, that's a yeah, it's, it's otherwise a big pe people building like cringy platforms on YouTube or whatever. Like, you know, that's going to work for some people. Mm. But yeah. like, that shouldn't be like your only route into the music industry or having to go on, you know, sure. X Factor or something in sure. order to be able to get some sort of record deal. And if we're going to be boring, we could also say that there's actually quite a lot of uh, research that I've watched on TikTok. <laughs> um, <laughs> about if you're big on TikTok, it doesn't mean that you make the album charts. No. And so, again, you know, you can have millions of plays on Spotify and you're not necessarily earning anything from I it. I make nothing. Once the record company's taken a cut of which, but how much does Spotify... Spot how much does Spotify pay? Jesus. What, an artist? It's like point, like per play, yeah. it's like point naught, yeah, naught two or something, isn't no, it? No, it's like yeah. point naught, 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 one, two, five or something, yeah. I think. So it's nominal, right? Yeah. Whereas actually, if you're getting paid, you know, 50 quid by the dog and duck in Wigan to come mm -hmm. along and play with your mates and whatever. I mean, I don't know if there is a pub called the dog and duck in Wigan. I there should up, be. But, you know, if there's not. It's just, it's a, I'll, it, maybe I'll get the APPG to sort that out so yeah. that there is one. I think if you talk to musicians about it, it's sort of like virtually a tale as old as time and either you're getting fucked by the label or you're getting fucked by Spotify. You know, it's like, that's why it's one of the big, one of the big reasons, you know, why touring and gigging is so important because that's actually often, oftentimes where well, a lot you make of bands money. make their money yeah. because the, the label would take the sales. Now Spotify takes the streams, you know, so. 
Question. Mm. Do you think, okay, the more extreme version of this question is, should yeah. everyone be forced as an act of national service to be wor- <laughs> work at a pub for a year? Right, okay. The less extreme version yeah. of that, are people who've worked in pubs better people? <laughs> I mean... Did you work you worked at a pub? I, I I'm, ob- I'm obviously biased I'm, if I say that they are. But, yeah. I, you know, as I said, I, I do think there is a set of skills that whatever you do, whether you stay within hospitality or whether you go somewhere else, I don't think there's anywhere like a pub for picking mm. those skills up. Mm. You know, potentially certain parts of catering maybe, but... You know, if you've ever been on a date with someone who's done this, uh, they have not worked no. in hospitality. They just haven't. What do we do with this? Should we bring back capital punishment? That should be one of the things that just... this gets your hand cut off yeah, by yeah, yeah. like a, some sort of scythe drops down from Guilty. the ceiling Guilty. and just yeah, not, not slices not, it clean it's off. You, not you capital. Appear. Not, yeah. ca- not capital. It's not fatal. Like, you yeah. know, we, almost, you know, you could do it surgically even, you know, put them under, no pain. But if you click like that, at the staff, that hand, it's gone, man. Yeah. It's and it's, it's the clicking and it's people saying like, you know, oi, whatever. And that rude. kind of just being rude. rude. You said, are people who worked in pubs better people? Yeah. Both of you worked in pubs. I've never worked in a pub. Really? Well, so we there, there we go. The it's scientifically mm. proven. Well, I was, going to invite, I was going to invite the audience to pass a mark <laughs> on who they thought were the better people, but you can come to, you can just jump to that conclusion if you want, Charlotte. By, yeah. uh, by all means. I think I'm probably, I think it's pretty fair to say I'm a worse person. Can we talk about a little bit quickly about the mechanisms of an APPG? Because yeah. I think that most people, okay, sorry. Yes. But most Let's people- do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most people probably don't know mm. that that's like a, that's another, what, root of, root of democracy. Can you explain a tiny bit about what you do? Yeah, so an all-party parliamentary group is a specific structure within Parliament where you have to have at least five MPs from at least two different parties in order to set one up. You have to have a secretariat, um, so someone who basically you know helps with coordinating the emails and things like that. Um, and then beyond that, there's a degree of sort of flexibility depending on what the topic is, what it's about, and so on. There's, they're the kind of only real hard and fast rules. So, I mean, there is um, a job of work that's being done by Chris Bryan and the Standards Committee, I believe, at the moment. It might be the Privileges Committee. I was getting mixed up. Mm. There we are. Um, but essentially into... There have been some cases where all party parliamentary groups have been used to exert influence in a, um, you know, anti-democratic way. And, you know, there have been cases where particularly because there's like an APPG for pretty much every country. Um, So some countries that have got dubious human rights records and what have you, um, you know, setting up an all party parliamentary group where the secretariat is like the embassy of that country. And wouldn't you like to come to our lovely country to see how well we treat people? And while you're there, maybe you could have some champagne. Maybe you could have a first-class flight. Right. You know, it's kind of, there are examples of where they are have been used historically. Are you historically. telling me that these people in Parliament are sometimes in it for themselves? Sometimes, sadly. <laughs> I mean, but this is the thing, you know, the, actually the vast majority of them, that you know, there are a handful that have historically been a problem. Um but the actual vast majority of APPGs are focused on like some really quite niche areas of policy. So I obviously chaired the pubs one, for example, but there is also one to do with beer and one to do with wine and spirits and one to do with the nighttime economy and so on, because we all actually deal with totally different things. 
The pub's APPG is largely looking at things like asset of community value applications to save your local pub and things like that. That's really whereas, nice. Yeah, whereas, you know, so it's actually about like the building and the institution and so on. So some of the stuff to do with like the supply chain, for example, will be in the beer one. Mm. But then because there are different issues in the supply chain between beer and spirits, there's a separate one for spirits because actually sometimes what they're working on is not necessarily always going to align very neatly. And you will find that the vast majority of APPGs are, you know, working in quite niche areas of policy and just really a way to convene getting a few MPs together relatively informally to just know that you've got a few people who are going to be hammering away on a certain issue because within Westminster there is so much going on all of the time, even at the moment where there's basically nothing going on. There's still, you know, all of this stuff in the mix. And it's having a group of people that you know are passionate about a particular issue and that you can rely on to sort of say, oh, we've got business questions on Thursday this week. Is there anyone that's planning to go in? Because we could really do with a question being raised about this policy paper that's just come out or something, you know, Mm. and knowing that if you can't be there, that maybe one of the other people can and so on. It's So the long I mean, and the short of yeah. it is a few MPs with, with like a serious interest in something, pubs, for example, can raise, get together, raise questions in the commons. And basically, yeah, it's just another route to, to yeah. cross-party work, right? Yeah, it's, it's literally just, you know, a way of having a bit of legitimacy sometimes in talking about things because rather than going into the chamber and talking about the value of, pubs as a sector in the economy which you know all of those things are true when I can say you know as the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on pubs and they know that there's people on their side who are part of it and who've been working on this same thing they're much less likely to come back with you know one of Dowden's zingers or whatever if I asked them about it because actually they know that it's it's a cross-party effort and it's something that you know you know how um, so they tend to engage with it a little bit more. You know how in the chamber there's the mace, right? Yeah. This is no mere debating hall because yeah. of said mace. Yeah. I think the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on pubs should have like a golden pint glass or something. I mean, like, that would be yeah. incredible. It's like behind the bar and strangers. Yeah. No one else is allowed to use it, and when you come in, they they know they just take it down. I do actually have a red beanie hat. Um, that says pubs APPG chair on it and I've got a silver tankard in my office very good um, because I won that last year I think it was I was voted pubs parliamentarian of the year so it's like this engraved uh, do you take it to strangers sadly not um, because actually the rules are that they won't fill pine glasses or whatever that aren't These from strangers yeah. so what, it's what? it's like a you know hygiene thing because, yeah you know. but you could you could that you know but have i had my own pints out of it yes you could have like a viking like a horn like a yeah. mead horn you know that'd be pretty good well apparently horn. you know you know like i don't know like from an oxen or something you know just hollowed out yeah so i have many of them yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about like, no look, i don't you, stop here you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about oh, apparently the uh swimming appg they do like a racer for you and if you win that you get a sword for your office really yeah chris bryant's got the sword at the moment of course he does um <laughs> of course he does so i like you know i'm in training i'm limbering up i want that sword yeah um, limbering <laughs> Ready to, ready to take take the fight to them. Total rhubarb. It's the Politics Show Pubcast. Okay, so this story about the BBC 
and the unnamed presenter. We've been talking a lot on the desk about whether or not someone in Parliament would use parliamentary privilege to name said presenter, because I don't know about you, but certainly within the media sphere, there's one name that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And I just wondered whether there's people, whether there's sort of talk in Parliament amongst MPs about that possibly happening. Um, yeah, and I guess I'd also just sort of invite you to give us your thoughts generally on the situation as it stands so far. Yeah, I mean, certainly I've heard two different names. And oh, really? so from my point of view, I wouldn't be wanting to sort of bet my house, so yeah. to speak, on, you know, who it is. And I think some of the speculation that we've seen online has obviously been really upsetting for a lot of the people that are... Mm getting accused of being, you know, the presenter in question. I think one of the things that makes it quite difficult when it comes to parliamentary privilege is what's come out in the last sort of day or so from the alleged victim saying that actually this hasn't happened and that they said to the son that, you know, this wasn't a... Um, trying to think of a way of phrasing it but the you know the kind of sequence of events yeah the, the kind of sequence of events as had been presented you know was not the reality of the situation well i think they basically said that they denied it to the sun yeah basically, and the sun didn't print the denial yeah and that. that's that's the bit that i think we get into a much murkier space around parliamentary privilege on because you would want to be like Sure. Oh yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna go in and you're gonna say that someone has done something like that, mm. you are gonna want to be very sure. And I think, given what happened in the Carl Beach situation and where Tom Watson had used parliamentary privilege there, and you know the problems that that situation created, I think that's made people a lot more cautious around at what point in this process it may or may not be the right time to name someone um and as i said certainly from my own point of view having heard two different names i wouldn't even be comfortable that you know yeah. i knew who it was to say that anyway before you even get into feeling confident enough about the facts of the situation to kind of go in and say that it's i mean i think a lot of these situations are murky mm. and it's really difficult to know what's the right thing to do but i think fundamentally at the heart of all of this is you know a young person that has potentially been victimized and kind of keeping their welfare at the center of that discussion because it's very easy for it to become this kind of you know gotcha thing online mm. and something that's you know scandalous or titillating in some way or that's sort of gossip but whether it happened to you or not I think being in the middle of that story would be unimaginably horrible given the kind of level that it's got to in the sort of discussion at the moment I was thinking that looking at um you know the son says one thing and they're basically sort of reporting on the parents and then the young person involved says something else and that's kind of via 
their lawyer to the BBC. Mm-hmm. And you're almost now watching like a family feud basically take place via the national media. It's very Jerry Springer. But, you know, it was actually, it was, I think it was Patrick Christie's. Who, Christie? Christie's, on, yeah. On GB News. Um, he was encouraging someone to use parliamentary privilege. He was like, come out and use it, basically insinuating they were cowards if they didn't. I mean, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? That you can, we, we really don't know the details of it at all. And to use something like that feels... Ed said that. Ed said that on the last episode, right? He was, we, we were saying, oh, you know, well... Everyone knows like who the name going round is, and Ed was very keen to say like, "Well, you don't know though." Yeah. Like you don't. It's it, yeah. Okay, fine. Everyone's saying a name, but until a court proves it or otherwise, you don't actually know that's what's happened, do you? Yeah. You don't. You don't. And I think I, I reflected on that, and I think it's right to just you know, not have as much of a degree of certainty about these things, and that actually until, you know, a court does prove it or otherwise. You know, fuck, fuck me, it's the sun. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even think that it necessarily even needs to be a court. But, you know, it's if you're looking at the facts at the moment, it is almost impossible to ascertain what they are. Yeah. Um, and as I said, unless you were sure, you know, parliamentary privilege exists for a reason and it's a very powerful thing. But people misusing it is going to end up with it potentially getting taken away Mm. and what that would mean for people that don't have you know a kind of right of reply or can't speak out or some of you know the whistleblowers that can be protected by using that space and MPs having that where you can say something as you know one of the only people in the country that couldn't be sued for libel and defamation provided that it was said in there just because I can't be sued for it doesn't mean that I don't want to be absolutely sure that that's mm. not what I'm doing yeah. before I use it. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with you totally on the court thing. Because normally I would say, well, if someone's made an accusation of bullying or you know sexual misconduct, like, yeah, absolutely. But I think because the son was implying that it was indecent images with a minor, yeah, I, I just think that that does actually need to be a police report. And that's the really key thing for me on this. Because the, poli- the Met have said so far, right? we're assessing the evidence. They haven't said mm. they've opened an investigation and they certainly haven't, as far as we know, arrested anyone in relation yeah. to this. If you were the Met Police and you had received, and again, like, just to be clear, this is like, I'm, this is hypothe- I'm hypothesizing. This is not like what's happened. But if you're the Met Police and you receive credible evidence that someone has abused a child, that person gets fucking arrested ASAP. Yeah. ASAP. You don't, li- you don't, leave, you don't leave a potential someone who's abused a child out in the public realm. Do you? Especially if it's someone that, you know. What are we saying? I would like yeah, to, I, would, do, I was going to say, I would like to have the faith in the yeah. police around these sorts of yeah, offenses. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I do as well. I do know. as well. But what I'm, what, I'm, just what I'm trying to say is that the Sun says one thing, the BBC say another, and the Met are looking into it. And I just, I think you sort of, you want to defer and listen to what the police are saying about this rather than necessarily what's being said about it in the media. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think the way that this is played out has been sort of unedifying for a lot of parties. And I think, you know, seeing some of the people that have obviously got a much longer standing kind of anti-BBC agenda, Mm. kind of the way that they've been wielding this Mm. as something that they're almost gleeful about is pretty sick. Um, As I said, you know, it's going back to at the heart of this, there is a young person 
and whether or not they were abused in the way that has been alleged in either circumstance being the middle of this national media storm is going to be pretty horrible even if nothing happened which is the kind of best case scenario Mm. here you know and if something has happened to them and they're in the middle of this media storm i mean that's just horrifying to Mm. think about really bad place to be um that's a, a really sad place to leave things. Should we should we leave it there? Yeah. Should we just wrap it there? Okay, fine. Charlotte Nichols, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming in. Thank uh, you. Some good chat, some sad chat. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ava Santina. Cheers. Always a pleasure. Uh, see you on the next one, guys. Cheers. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.